The Parenting Unpacked podcast is recorded on Yagara and Yagambe Banjalung land. We acknowledge the Turrbal, Yagara and Kumbamari people as its traditional custodians. We acknowledge all First Peoples of this land and celebrate their enduring connections to country, knowledge and stories. We pay our respects to the Elders, those who have passed into the dreaming, those here today and those of tomorrow. Hello, hello, hello. You are here at Parenting Unpacked. I did it differently because I forgot how to do it, which you'll hear <laughs> in the theme. outro. It's a theme. In the outro, Kristen forgot how to reintroduce to the outro. So, um, hi, welcome to Parenting Unpacked. I'm Dr. Siobhan Kennedy Costantini, and this is Dr. Kristen Summer. Hi, Siobhan. <laughs> hello. We've had a, so the podcast proper, like the actual interview, mm. amazing. In some in some ways and challenging in others. Uh, the intro and outro, pure chaos, which is what everyone's here for, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, what else are they but, here for? They can't be expected to have calm, organized podcasts. It's not why you come no, to no, Parenting no, Impact. No, Go somewhere no, else no. for that. Um, before we forget, we have a slight, I guess, so content, not content warning, content information. Trigger <laughs> warning in that we talk about birth, we talk about physiological birth we talk about like elective cesarean sections and we both had some feelings about that that we didn't really unpack in the we unpacked towards the end of our parenting unpacked how great we talked about um we talked about towards the end of the episode but then we kind of uh exploded our thoughts and feelings out in the outro so if you find any of this content triggering or um and you don't want to listen great see you next week if you find it triggering or stressful, but you do want to listen, go check out our intro first, where we blurt out all our feelings, and then <laughs> come back here and listen to the episode. Or do it in whatever order you want. That's cool too. Yeah, essentially, if you're about to turn the episode off during the interview because it's making you uncomfortable, because you have gaslit yourself, you have internal, like internalized like ideals of society or you how you're supposed to birth or not birth or yeah, what you should you or have any have trauma around birth um before you turn the episode off fast forward to the outro where um i blurt out that i really did not enjoy the episode at all because i was dealing with my own shit while listening to it and it was challenging but it is a phenomenal episode it is beautiful it's just that different people are in different mental states and that is okay. Um, but yeah, mm. go to the outro, listen to that chaos, then go to the rest of the episode if you want to keep listening. But yeah, just don't, don't just, don't just rule this episode out because I promise it's great. It's just that we have trauma and we need to work through it. <laughs> um, and that is okay. That is okay. So uh, before we <laughs> jump into hi. that, let's ig- yeah, just... let's ignore everything. And how's your week going? I am 10 weeks and a few days pregnant. I am at the peak of the hormone spikes. Um, My nausea, thankfully, isn't that aggressive. It's there all day, but like, hi, I have panic attack nausea, which is like, like, like puts me in a state of expecting to be vomiting at any second for hours. Mm. So having pregnancy nausea is not that bad. Like, it's just, mm. like, kind of a low rumble rather than being, like, crisis state instantly. So the pregnancy nausea is okay. The migraines, 
less okay. Mm. <laughs> They're getting real aggressive. I've had a migraine for almost two weeks straight. Um, I have low blood pressure. Like my face, like I'm looking at myself on the screen right now and I do not look well. <laughs> so it's been I mean, chaotic. It's Tuesday. Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, we're getting there. We're my getting kid there. is great. She's just like so chuffed to be getting a sibling that she's just like, gotta look after mum. We'll look after you. We'll do whatever you need. And like my husband will be like, oh, mummy's sleeping. Like don't disturb her. And she'll, and she'll just like whisper and walk out of the room and just let my husband put her to sleep. Like I don't understand where this angel child came from because she was feeling her feelings with the heat of 5,000 suns Every time I was not available for bedtime prior to this, but now she's but it's, fine. But if there's a baby on board, she's like, that's okay, it's worth it. It's worth yeah, it. she's she's just like cost benefit analysis. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> the baby needs mum right now, and I really hope that 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 theme carries on for the next yeah. couple of years. But I I know that's not how it works. But anyway, so I'm feeling chaotic. Yeah. But I had my first OB appointment yesterday. I had my nipped test done. My non-invasive prenatal testing done so I should know all of the results of that by next week's podcast including cool. gen not gender sex of the baby which sex chromosomes they comprise um, which is so weird to me because I had a surprise mm. with my first child mm. and this time I am finding out immediately um, and mm. I will probably name this baby too immediately my first child didn't yeah of course like two weeks but like yeah. oh my, I forgot yeah. about that yeah yeah, have you named the baby? Yeah, we have. Does Timo know the name of it? He does. Oh, that's what I want to do. That... I want to like help yeah. the bonding. Like, well, not really. Yeah, because we so mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we named Timo, but we didn't. Mm. We told everyone we didn't. We didn't announce gender or sex. Sorry, we didn't announce mm. the baby's sex. We knew it, mm. um, and we told everyone if it's a boy, it's this name. If it's a girl, it's this name. By the end, both my mother and mother-in-law had accurately guessed that it was a boy for many different reasons, cool. largely because I'm terrible and I slipped up a lot. Um, <laughs> and I think even before he was born, both of them, I was talking to them individually and I think I said something about he or she and they're like, ugh, stop even bothering, like stop even pretending, we know. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, with this one, I haven't yet, so they, everyone knows it's a boy, mm -hmm. um, or at least has male sex chromosomes. Um, yep. It will identify however it wants. Mm -hmm. um, statistically, it will identify as male, uh, mm -hmm. but say, say um, But we haven't t mm -hmm. told anyone the names. Um, Timo how? knows the name, but- Yeah, how are you mm -hmm. keeping it a secret with a toddler that knows the Cause name? Cause he doesn't care. So unlike Sienna, <laughs> he doesn't care about the baby. Um, oh my God. He, he kind of, when we're talking about him and the, like about the baby and how it's his brother, he's interested, but unless it's actively part of the conversation, it's not on his mind. <laughs> um, so, and the funny thing is like, he knows the baby's name. He only ever uses the baby's name in the house, like in our, at our home. Um, out when we're out and I know it's really strange. I, cause yes. I fully expected it to have already slipped by now, but yeah. he, when we're out and about, He'll say my brother or Spider-Man, which is what he's decided the baby should be called. Um, and, yeah, he'll just use other words, but it doesn't come up that often. Um, my sister has tried to quiz him and be like, yeah. what's your brother's name? And he just laughs and is like, I've got other things to do. 
Um, Have you told him he can't tell anyone? No, no. He's <laughs> just a menace. He's just like, ha yeah. I have information that you want and like, cannot have. It's, 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 I don't think it's even that intentional. Like, he's it's just awesome. like, what? It's, it's, he's like, it's not important information. Why do you he care? He just doesn't like, care about the baby at all. <laughs> not really. It's actually hilarious. It's he, so, I'm I sure... can't believe how different they are because she just like, she is thinking about that baby all the time. Like, she will just randomly come running into the room with doll's clothes being like, my baby brother is going to match, like, my baby with these clothes. And I'm like, we don't own those clothes. We, they're, they're doll's clothes. We don't have matching clothes for the baby. Like, And she's just, she just comes out with it all the time. The moment we name so that good. baby, the very next day, she is going to tell her entire tell daycare. Everyone. So, like, yeah. I don't, like, I am just impressed, Timo. Good job. Oh, again, I, I, I'll take the compliment and the praise on his behalf, but it's nothing's intentional <laughs> no, about it. No, it's just great. Um, he was, his main thing is that he's just frustrated that the baby is not going to be useful to him to begin with. Oh. Because he's like, is the baby going to go on the swing with me? And I was like, well, not to begin with, no. Well, is the baby going to tell me stories? Well, the baby won't be able to talk for quite a while. And then, like, explaining, and he goes, ugh, babies are dumb. And he just keeps repeating that. Um, actually, mostly that babies are dumb and not <laughs> useful to him. Um, oh my god, so different. Is accurate. Mm. Like we talk but about, the... like where will the baby sleep? And Sienna's like, in my bed. Who's going to change Aww. the baby's nappy? I will. Who's going to change yeah. the baby's clothes? I will. Like who's going to feed the baby? I will. Like it, it is my baby. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't care about like the functional like play stuff. She doesn't want yeah. like a play partner. She wants a yeah. real life baby a doll. Because her yeah. electrical doll that like grows and like does all the weird stuff is not enough for her. She wants a real one yeah. and she wants it now. Um, Amazing. Yeah, so she is very, they're very different and like it kind of yeah. epitomizes the difference between like a stereotypical boy and a stereotypical Stereo girl because our exactly. kids are like we we didn't try to no. gender our children. We tried not to. <laughs> like yeah. she wears we her boy cousins like hand me down clothes. Yet she's just addicted to dolls and nothing else. And like mm. we've bought Lego and she uses the Lego to build cots for her dolls. Like that's <laughs> where we're at. Like, Amazing. Just, Timo's um, Timo has dolls that he plays with and they drive his forklifts. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> we can't even No. It's amazing how like rigid they are and whatever they want to do, and it's yeah. like it's so early. Like it's not like any kind of cultural like pressure has really done I mean, it. It is though, right? It's both. <laughs> it's because even though we're not doing it, we are doing it in ways we don't even recognize. Yeah. Like, I reckon uh, there has to be things I'm that we're sure doing that we does. don't even. I just well, don't know. I mean, I do more of the maternal caregiving. And I am yes. a female, so maybe what? she identifies with that. Totally, like, that's true. Like there's, there's element, like same thing. Like I work less than my husband does. Mm -hmm. I, like yeah, there's, there's yeah. things that we have in our house that fit, quote unquote. You know, at one time, my sisters and I, so my two sisters who have children, the three of us were over at my mum's house with all the children. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my nephews was like, well, because the daddies, daddies have to work and mummies stay home and look after babies. <laughs> and my sister was very quick to be like, well, no, that's, and that's not right. And then she went, okay, well, or, or in all of your examples, yes, that does happen to be the truth that the daddies work and the mummies, but daddies don't have to and mummies don't. And I'm like, they're going, oh, we're really not doing much to help 
um, shift the gender norms, are we? But that's okay. There's time for nuance later. There is. And like, I mean, my husband does all the cleaning. So yeah, she knows that daddies do cooking. and the cooking. Yeah, daddies do all the cleaning and the cooking. So that's fine because mummies, mummies cuddle the babies while daddies do the cleaning and the cooking and yep. it's fine. Oh, yep. Lord. I don't know. He Gender knows that roles daddy are does a the whole washing thing. And daddy gets mad when mummy does the washing because according to daddy, I don't sort the clothes properly. I'm you not allowed to do the washing in. because yeah. I put the colors in the whites together and then Doesn't I always matter. forget to hang it out. And so I do I more do of the, too. I use the dryer a lot instead. And like, yeah. he's just better at the washing. He's yeah. better at executive functioning, okay? His, his, his executive <laughs> functioning is better. I am the creative one. I come up with all the fun, like, play things. I yeah. come up with all the organization in the house. That's fine. We are playing to our strengths. I am exactly. just reasoning with myself <laughs> what my value oh. is as a wife in the house. <laughs> if your value as a wife is washing, you need to reevaluate your, your values. It's also my income my full-time income i guess so like there's that yeah i mean he makes like twice i do but that's fine that's... we both work the same number of hours it's fine <laughs> <laughs> everything's so fine i've got my here's the how try this on you should just work fewer hours but then i'll work even <laughs> i'll earn even less money no 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 I, that, that wasn't part of my equation i you... know <laughs> I, i'm being ridiculous oh, that's not the how struggle the is works. real no it's not um, but i found but... out I found out that I get maternity leave and then I get to come oh. back to my postdoc and finish it off. I don't just lose amazing. the last of my postdoc. So I'm still going to need to find a job, you. but I'm good for now. Yeah, that's that makes amazing. me feel better. I know. Because I, I, I think I saw you answer on Instagram. Someone asked you a question about, are you stressed mm. about academia and like the leaky pipeline of motherhood? And and I, I loved your answer because I thought it was yeah. very... Like, cause of course, that is a thing that women mm. who leave the work... Um, place to have a child like that it's not it's not conducive to return but yeah. you are right that academia is inherently volatile it and is really volatile to women who's having a job anytime um yeah but anyway cute to tell you yes let's do that so speaking of it'll be quick but speaking of pregnancy so i had a sad day you know how sometimes you just have days where just everything goes wrong i have I a bad brain days. day mm, yeah I call it. and i it was on friday and it was just, everything was off. And then I was driving to my parents and I went to close the boot, which is like the back part of the car mm -hmm. in Australia. And it went on my, like I whacked myself in the head Aww. and I just burst, I burst into tears. Um, and I don't normally cry. So my little one is yeah. not used to seeing that. And he got really spooked by me crying. He went, mommy, mommy, don't cry. Don't cry. It's okay. Take some deep breaths with me. And it was Aww. just the sweetest and he like sat in the car like I hopped in the car and started driving to where we were going he was coaching me through my breathing and he goes are you calming down does your body feel calm take some more breaths and I was like oh. it was just really oh and then God. I started crying because he was adorable um <laughs> and it was just mm, pregnancy hormones <laughs> I know and we love them I don't know it was just really special so Yes, um, that was not connected to anything, but I wanted to tell you because mm, it's so adorable and it's a mm. wonderful note to leave on before we walk on into the episode today, which should be hopefully uplifting and empowering and that everyone should love B. Um, She's not best. uplifting and empowering. We, we've got some trauma to work through and that is okay um, because I have trauma to work through. Um, and I was not uplifted and empowered, but that is okay. Um, and now I am rambling because I'm so tired. 
Yes. So, go have a nap. We'll go have a nap. Okay. And while we nap, you can listen to the episode. And... <laughs> then listen that to the outro good. that we've already recorded because we've done everything backwards today and it's very confusing. Okay, and I hope good. you are just as confused as we are. Um, but yeah, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to Parenting Unpacked. We are here with the wonderful Bee. How are you, Bee? I'm good. I'm really stoked to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, we are stoked to have you. Um, Before I jump into the um, podcast proper and ask you all of the questions I've been desperate to ask you, um, can you tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, who you're a mum to, anything else you want to add? Um, so I, I always feel like I'm introducing myself at like one of those meetings <laughs> that, that we go to <laughs> where we try and pick the best parts out of us, but we really know why we're really here. Um, <laughs> so I am a midwife by trade, uh, and, uh, by every cell in my body, I think I, uh, all my, all my humanly cells are midwife cells. I am, uh, the mother of two delicious boys, Aloysius and Amos, but we call them Banjo and Louie, uh, naming my <laughs> children was the hardest thing I ever did and I still <laughs> don't call them by what I called them uh I have an epic lover and his name is uh Michael or uh, we fondly call him Mr Cornfloor and so Cornfloor Store is our company um and it started for me basically after my journey uh with incontinence from when I was 19 um and then a prolapse but it basically started for me to be able to heal my incontinence after the birth of my first baby I had a really traumatic horrific pregnancy with him where I was basically covered in urine and vomit and I just wanted it to end. Uh, and then I went on and had a beautiful epic home birth with him, which I totally dated, uh, doubted my capability uh, to do um, because I couldn't even sneeze without wetting myself. Uh, so how was I going to birth a baby? But I did that epically and that was, a as birth often is, the transformation that I needed to become who I really am. Uh, and so I... I went on a journey. I'm an academic. I'm a published author in midwifery and I love research. And so I went on the research bandwagon around core and pelvic floor health because it made no sense to me that we would just squeeze a muscle and release it. Kegels have never made sense to me. And now finally the research is actually catching up. And so I looked at what was going on around the world in this space and I developed a program for me. It was never for anyone else. I was quite happy in my midwifery world. I was uh, climbing the midwifery ladder and, and doing, I did, you know, I was sitting on the board of directors for the Australian College of Midwives and I was doing lots of great things in midwifery and I loved that space that was my jam um and then as motherhood often does it gives us a different path and uh what I started to do on my mat leave um I went back to exercise class and I was like oh the exercise world is not made for our bodies like you know and neither is our headspace because we are very much conditioned to be good girls and we're very much conditioned to self-blame and self-criticize and tell ourselves that we're not good enough and so I would be doing star jumps next to a 60-year-old woman and telling myself I had to do them because she was um even though I knew my body couldn't um and so I went in I was like oh well I'm at leave I'll just knock out a personal training degree and start you know offering what I've kind of learned to women in my community and now uh, Corum Flora Store is a result of that and it's wild. We have like over 10,000 people doing the programs. I've got pregnant and postpartum programs. I've got a men's program. And then what I realized 
because once you start telling your story, every woman has a story uh, and their stories feel safer to share once you share yours. Um, and I would just say, you know, in the exercise class, once you start doing, you know, if you're leaking urine, you can do star jumps like this. And then that often gives people the permission that they feel they need to then go, oh, hey, I'm actually leaking urine or, hey, I'm leaking feces. And so I realized this was a huge issue and started working with people a lot one on one. But what I realized was that the physical stuff is brilliant and needed and so necessary. But when there is trauma there, typically birth trauma, but often our birth trauma is connected to all our trauma, um, that you plateau. And so then I went more into the space. Um, I still do all my programs and my exercise, but I started offering like birth debriefs and one-on-one consults and um, really working with people around the uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but the head effery, um, I don't know if you, <laughs> yeah, on, um, around our conditions. So what we typically make things mean, like, what do we make it mean that we have prolapse? Typically we make it mean that we're broken and our partners won't love us and that, um, you know, we won't be a fun mom and we won't back, you know, be able to do what we love again. Um, and then, I realized that that could take us so far and then often the body needed to tell its story because the head story is often a little bit different to the body story. And so then I started doing body work. So now core and floor is kind of this all encompassing holistic approach to core and pelvic floor health, which is what the world needs and what postpartum really needs. We uh, have really lost postpartum healing in our culture um, and uh really lost respect and honor for our bodies we really hold a lot of grit and shame around them and we just get on with things and think that that's the way it has to be and so i'm really passionate around especially in the health world because no one really owns postpartum health maternal and child mm. health should mm. and i don't really like that word should um because a lot of guilt comes with it and i know they're doing the very best they can with what they have but um you know typically that that is where mothers should feel held and so often that's not what we're hearing that they do um and they there's a lot of knowledge that's missing in the healthcare system around what goes on for us postpartum um and what we need um and i think you know just the whole kegels are the answer well they're not um but it's so big and so then when something is so big and it's such a contrast to what is currently being offered um, it becomes really hard to put it in. And so we just ignore it and, and disconnect from it. Um, so yeah, I run Core and Floor. It's mostly online. So I see people all around the world. My internal work is obviously face-to-face. -face. I have free antenatal classes and that kind of is what enabled Core and Floor to be as well known as it is. I, um, during COVID, I ran some free antenatal classes and they're still available and they're still free. So that was a very, I never know how to introduce myself. I just start talking. It was perfect. <laughs> but I'm a midwife and a mum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Give you a microphone me. and you'll get going. We yeah, just need that. Just you can just talk. talk for the entire hour. That would be great. We don't need to give you any input because you are just you're you're onto it. It's fine. I know. It was. Do you know what, Kristen? I was thinking as soon as as when B was talking, I was like, "Cool. I'm happy for her to keep going. I'm loving listening to all of this." <laughs> well, this is an educational podcast for us too. Like we are here mm. to learn from you and uh, exploit that as much as possible. Siobhan and I had a phone call earlier and she's like I just really want to ask her all of my questions and I was like okay let's we can yeah. do that <laughs> this could be a free therapy session let's do yeah. it let's dive into Absolutely. it action I'd really love to record a lot of the sessions I do especially the birth mm. debriefs and, and the core mm. and pelvic floor chats because 
The thing is, we all think we're unique, but most of our stories mm. are very similar and especially the way we think. And this is my biggest thing, right? Like we suffer in silence. I kept my mm. secret of incontinence from everybody. No one knew. I, I had leaked urine for 12 years before my partner knew. And the only reason he knew is because he walked in and I vomited and wet myself. And he was like, oh, I'll go get the mop. Um, and I still probably don't think he, I mean, he was there and he rode the prolapse journey with me a little bit, but so often we don't share what's in our heads with anyone. Um, or maybe we share them with someone we pay who doesn't know us, but we often don't share our truest intimate thoughts with our intimate people, um, for fear of vulnerability, you know, vulnerability is our greatest power, but we're so scared of it. Um, and you know, it's where the most growth happens. So i am often thought I would love to record these sessions because my biggest thing on social media is you're never alone. Um, You know, if you're sticking your fingers in your vagina to poo, I'll guarantee you so is at least one of your friends, but you just don't know about it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, because the issue is these problems are so common. They're not normal and we don't want to normalise anything because normal says you can't do anything about it. But that awareness of how common it is, I think if we had that, you know, and that's what women had for centuries was connection sitting Mm. together in in circle and talking and connecting and once you take that away from a culture you take away a lot of wisdom and a Mm. lot of knowledge Mm. and um you just you don't get that back uh easily um and comfortably Mm. i'm just telling telling my husband not to come into the room <laughs> he's like can I come in I'm like no stay out there so if you see me I'm not doing the stop right now thank you very much Ken. I mean, that's, I'd support that. I'd support he can support also that. come in that's also fine we can talk to your husband he about wants to dance it. <laughs> whatever <laughs> how's his prolapse going <laughs> his dick laps yeah there's a really beautiful meme around dick lapses and it's like what got this that? picture of this like a dick lapse, like a prolapse that it's not a real thing. Oh, but this is I really thought it was. Series. No, well, no, I've never seen one. Never but, say uh, never. But... Never say never. It's this um, meme of what would happen if men uh, had prolapses and it's this penis that is prolapsing and like the wife comforting and so the man's pregnant and then he, yeah, it's it's quite hilariously drawn. I no, he was sister... just communicating with me. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say with the the idea of men being pregnant my sister uh, she's got an 18 month old but she had a really horrific pregnancy with hg the whole time and it was very awful for her and um, both of them really but i remember she's in the like i think she was over the toilet throwing up and said to her husband what how would you handle this and he goes oh darling if men had to have babies there would be no humans um so like well, there'd be a lot more you. research a lot more science and a lot more solutions we'd be so Isn't much further progressed with all of these things if mm-hmm. only yeah i think you know i just want to send a lot of love to her because i'm like hg is just so so mm. so horrific um mm-hmm. but i think you know there is there's a lot of grit that women have to hold in order mm-hmm. to do the things we're physiologically designed to do, which is bleed and conceive and be pregnant and birth and menopause. Mm. Um, but to do, to do, there is a lot of grit that we have to have to do those physiological things in our modern world. Um, and I think what a lot of that 
brings with it is a lot of emotional trauma and physical disconnection. And when there's, you know, I always say in order to heal, we need connection. And in order to connect, we need compassion. And one of the biggest things women typically lack is self-compassion. And so when you want to physically heal, I mean, trauma will cut the body and the mind off from each other. And so there needs to be this beautiful reconnection with the body. Um, And that doesn't typically happen when we hold grit because grit tells us just suck it up and keep going. Mm -hmm. And I think every person that gives birth gets to a crisis point um, at some stage, often in motherhood. Um, and that's when things can change. I mean, that's often what we need, right, is a contrast of we don't want this anymore. And I think we're getting so much better, uh, especially our generation, at going, oh, we can change. We can make this look different. We can progress. Um, but a lot of what we're dealing with is that intergenerational trauma from when women had to start doing paid work, which was World mm. War II era, right? Mm-hmm. So, so much of it is so fresh. And then we're this generation that comes in and is now going, hey, that actually hasn't served us. That hasn't felt good. So now how do we make it more catered to us and our needs? Um, and, you know, I'm so grateful for the amazing queens that stood before us and, and you know, made all this change happen. I'm so glad I have paid work. I'm so glad I can drive a car. I'm so glad I can vote. But it has come with a compromise. And so now it's this, I really feel like we're in this era of rebalancing um, and figuring out how can we do this and get our needs met. Mm. Yeah, and like not pretending that we don't have needs because that doesn't serve anyone. Yeah, and so often that really connects into the you know, stories or what we watched growing up from our own mothers, which was, you know, the role of the mother is um, to serve the family and to put herself last and not get her needs met. And, you know, so often we play out what we've seen without even realising we're doing it. Um, And I think it's really tricky, especially around self-care, because it's such a marketed term. And so we have this whole belief system around what self-care should look like. And I know for me growing up, I had an 80s and 90s mum, right? So it was the grapefruit diet and all her self-care was around diet and exercise. Um, And now, you know, self-care is really about, you know, marketed around massages and facials and things that cost money and take time where I really see self-care is that beautiful connection to self and asking what you need and sometimes self-care is having a beautiful big cry and sometimes self-care is having a sleep or having a nutritious meal or feeling the earth below your feet you know um but you've got questions and I will just keep talking unless you ask me them so I want you to get your questions answered so what would you like to know (laughs) Kristen you go first Oh, but you have all of the questions. <laughs> well, no, how about, you, so I, you know how on our phone call we were talking about um, the tum- our tummies. So Chris and I are both oh, yeah. pregnant. Yeah. Um, we were both pregnant together last time unintentionally mm-hmm. and we're both pregnant together unintentionally this time, mm-hmm. um, which is wonderful. But we noticed, I'll let you take over from now, Kristen. Okay, fine. We both noticed that with second pregnancies, we have so many more aches. And we were like, did we forget? No, we didn't forget. We actually feel those like aches and pains way more around our hips, our back, our pelvis, all of that. Um, And we were like reflecting on our first pregnancies um, 
And with my first pregnancy, I had a strong core and I walked all day, every day, five kilometers a day until I gave birth. And I never felt any pain at any point. And I delivered at like 38 and a half weeks and never had any pain. This time, so, so uncomfortable. I'm 10 weeks and I am uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There is no weight mm -hmm. of a baby carrying down there yet, but I am, I have so many pains. And Siobhan, your side of the story. Yeah, so I um, had a very opposite pregnancy. I sat around and did nothing. I didn't do nothing, but I sat around a lot. Um, my first time, obviously I had a stronger core because I hadn't been pregnant and given birth prior. I gave birth at 39 and four. Um, I had a lot of hip pain, but I, that's a historical problem. I've always had hip pain and pregnancy exacerbated it um, last time. This time my hip pain's fine because I've stayed really on top of it. But my like abs hurt, like as though I've been working out and I haven't been, although my husband was very kind. He's like, you have a toddler, you pick him up, you throw him around, you do things. Um, so I think that's part of the story, but I would love to hear your wisdom on the matter. Um, Kristen's story is so common and this is what I found. I'll work with people who are pregnant with their first baby and they're like, what pain? I don't have pain or oh, like it's, it doesn't really affect them, right? And I think that is probably what then causes everything because typically and I'm being very general here typically people walk away from that first pregnancy and birth and at some point there is a given amount of time where they start to feel fine again right and even if there's been some trauma with an episiotomy or a cesarean some time passes and the body feels okay and so most people walk away and go I'm fine what they fail to do and what our culture fails to understand is that your body has been pregnant for like 40 weeks. <laughs> we don't just magically heal from that. And birth cops a lot of blame for this. Mm -hmm. And we're actually now, especially in the research, starting to see that it's not really birth's fault. You can't tell me that a physiological process ruins our bodies, right? <laughs> I do believe that just like, you know, pooing is a physiological pro pro process, but we can have constipation and then that causes us to have injury and issues. I do believe birth can cause us to have injury and issues. And I especially believe in today's current modern maternity care system, we are, those problems are more exacerbated and we're more at risk of having injury from forceps, vacuum, episiotomy, coach pushing, coach pushing is the biggest one. Um, interventions like induction, syntocin, and just forcing the body to do something that it's not ready to do yet and then cutting it or applying instruments to it and, and then obviously cesarean, catheters, all those things, right? Yes, that's not a physiological birth now. And we know physiological birth, really, most people, um, the rate, and this is not something we collect in the data, we say, have you had a vaginal birth? But we don't know the difference in the data between vaginal and physiological. And, you know, Rhea Dempsey talks a lot about this, that really it's probably 1% to 5%. And that are people that have born before arrivals, that they are people that have home births and births, birth center births. Um, and so not saying that a physiological birth is not possible in a hospital, but most people get active management of third stage and their birth is disrupted. You know, vaginal examinations telling them to push when their body's not ready. Most people don't experience the fetal ejection reflex and that is mm -hmm. full physiological birth. So whilst there, I'm not saying that birth d doesn't leave us unscathed, 
but it makes you know the whole oh you've got to push a watermelon out of a pinhole no you're pushing a baby out of a baby sized hole the vagina is is beautifully epically designed like you really can't get a better structure than the vagina it is so freaking clever and intelligent and it's able to open that big we're designed like that like people are like whoa the pelvic floor has to lengthen 3.7 times its length that's just unheard of it's like no it is heard of because that's what it does millennia you just yeah yeah you're just comparing it to another muscle that doesn't do that that's not comparing apples to apples you're comparing apples to oranges here pelvic floor has a beautiful function it's what it's meant to do but what people fail to see is what happens to the body in pregnancy and postpartum and our biggest issue here is how we live our lives so we are not designed to sit on chairs we are not designed to drive cars we are not designed to cover the distances we do and do with our bodies what we do we're meant to sit in a squat and people go oh that's an asian thing it's not an asian thing it's a human thing you look at your babies they all have to learn to squat in order to be able to stand and if you let them they will keep squatting but what do we do we put babies on those silly little couches that we created for children we put them at little chairs on little tables and then as soon as they start any kind of daycare or school that's what they do and so we are born to move instinctively but we very quickly learn to move against our body because of our environment so we adapt to our environment now our body is incredibly intelligent it will do what we're telling it to do but at our own expense. And one of the mm. biggest things we start getting conditioned to do is when we pull our babies up off the change table, you are forcing them to do something that's not instinctual. It is not instinctual to move your body that way. And then we continue to do that when we get out of bed because we sleep up high. So I, I slept on the floor um, when I, I lived in the Solomon Islands in the Leaf Hut. We didn't sleep up high. We couldn't. And so you don't get up. You don't fling yourself out of bed when you don't have to get your legs down on something. You roll onto your side and you push yourself up. So my children have been my biggest teachers here, but most, mm -hmm. I will argue, I would happily argue with anyone that the majority of people enter their first pregnancy with core or pelvic floor dysfunction based on the way we exercise because pull, activating your core is not pulling your belly button into your spine. Um, but that's how we've been trained and that puts a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor. So how we've moved and how we've exercised prior to pregnancy, most of us enter that first pregnancy with some kind of core pelvic floor dysfunction, whether it be um, headaches and migraines, whether it be pelvic girdle pain, whether it be constipation, whether it be sciatica, that is all core and pelvic floor dysfunction, leaking urine. People go, oh, my pelvic floor is fine because I leak urine. Oh, well, tell me about your hip pain right because mm. now we've seen this beautiful study came out just recently there was no difference in people that leaked urine and people that didn't in terms of pelvic floor strength what there was difference in was hip um range of movement and how their hips felt and what is the most the, the biggest common ache that i hear from postpartum women is hips hips are sore mm. right so we enter that first pregnancy often with an issue um, and then what do we do when we're pregnant? Well, we keep working, we keep moving our bodies. And the only risk factor for diastasis recti that's been statistically significant is lifting heavy things, right? So we go through that first pregnancy, we think we're okay. Then we enter postpartum in a really stretched and compromised state. Now, if you broke your leg, and I used to hate this analogy because I'm like, oh, you're not breaking your, you know, birth is physiological, it's not pathophysiological, but most people experience some type of pathophysiology in their birth, right? If you had broken your leg, then the whole world, well, your whole world would have to stop 
and re-cater to what is going on in your family, right? So when I broke my hand, we had a foster child. He was 13 months old. I couldn't change a nappy. So our whole world had to shift so that we could continue caring for him. And it was given. I also had four months of of publicly funded follow-up post that surgery where I had hand surgery, physiotherapy, and then I did my own things, right? Where is that? in our maternity care system. The maternity care system stops once that baby is out of your body. So where is the publicly funded, you know, osteo, chiro, acupuncture, physio? Some people will get paid for physiotherapy, but you've got to prove that you need it, right? So you've got to have a prolapse or you've got to have some kind of injury that we typically give you so that then we feel bad enough that we publicly fund it. You know, even the fact that birth debriefing is not publicly funded like there is nothing there it's like oh we'll care for you while there's an infant or a fetus inside of you and then you're done now it's all about the baby and so much of our healthcare system focuses on the baby and so there is no follow-up there is no assessment of your body like let's assess your whole posture now that your whole posture has changed to grow this baby where are your ribs sitting what's your lower back doing what's your hips doing we don't do any of that right so then what happens is we as a culture and as a human get really focused on the baby and then all of a sudden we're like oh we need to have another baby so we do and so what you're dealing with is a body that's never healed that now everything feels exacerbated. And typically this is what I hear. Second pregnancy, did I have this pain last time? Did this, is this hurting? You know, why is it hurting so much now? I didn't feel this last time and now I am. And then that's the second pregnancy. And by the third pregnancy, what I hear is I feel broken. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because we've never actually healed from the issues that were probably there preconceptionally, but like pregnancy exacerbates it. And so this is a huge healthcare system issue. This is a huge cultural issue. And we have to start putting our hands up and saying not good enough. And, you know, I always joke that if dick lapses were a thing, we would have had a pill by now that would have solved it. And we don't want a pill. We want reconnection to our bodies and we want to understand that, the body's always trying to work towards homeostasis. It wants to heal and it's so capable, but we need support. And really what that looks like now is things that cost a lot of money. And Mm. if you're not in a regional area, if you're in rural and remote, or you're doing what most families are doing, which has been on one income when they're having babies, this stuff is hard to access. It's hard to pay for. And so the reality is most people don't do it. They suffer in silence and time will get you so far. Time will get you to a state where you feel okay again for a certain time, for a certain period. And then as we age, I mean, incontinence is the second most common reason we end up in a nursing home. But that part of our life feels so far away that we just think we're okay. And so often symptoms resolve and we think, oh, we're fine. And then we start bleeding again. And typically people feel a lot of these symptoms just prior to their bleed, but, oh, it's only a couple of days in my period, so I'm okay often things have to have hit a crisis point before we're willing to do something about them because the reality is listening and caring and loving our bodies isn't a quick fix uh and it takes a lot of time and so then that's where the you know messages around self-care and body importance um and body respect and honoring come into this and you know my boys know that i bleed they know that i bleed and that when i bleed i don't want to play rough 
And, um, you know, the other day my son was like, you know, mommy, why aren't you jumping? And I was like, oh, because my body is feeling really heavy at the moment because it's about to bleed. And, um, you know, when my body gave birth to you boys, it did a lot of hard work and I'm still recovering from that. So it doesn't feel good for my body, so I'm not going to do it. And they are totally fine with that. They're like, okay, like the, the um, you know, alternatives that my son's, my, my oldest son comes up with when I say, oh, I, I don't, I'm not willing to do that or my body doesn't feel like it wants to do that right now. He'll be like, okay, let's do this instead because mm. all he cares about is just connecting with me. But so often we force our bodies to do things because we want other people to love us or like us or think that we're capable um, and it comes down to self-worth. Mm-hmm. No, so, yes, you could listen to that you talk is... forever. <laughs> That is why, that is the answer to your issue, Kristen, and if you resonate with it. Uh, in terms of yours, Siobhan, what you're probably feeling is your body, there's probably a diastasis recti, there's probably yeah. some separation through the tummy, and so your body is probably trying, there's probably some tension there maybe. I mean, it's really hard. It's such an individualised thing, but, you know, it's it could be that ligament pain and tension from mm. there being tightness and from it trying to hold in um or it can just be that growth and expansion and you know so we've we have like you know periods for example we're not our bleeding time shouldn't hurt right but we have a whole culture and um pharmaceutical marketing uh, campaign around our periods hurting the reason our periods hurt is because there's tension in that space and so when it's physiologically trying to contract it's pulling on things and so typically that's what we're feeling in um, pregnancy as well as as things shift and move they're starting to pull on where there's tension and scar tissue often is what's happening so scar tissue or just tension that the body's been holding tension in that space um, and so it might be a really you know if it's a lower abdo pain, it may be connected to like what's going on around the pelvic bowl um, and more the pelvic floor muscles or, or maybe what's happening through the thighs. I mean, the pelvic bowl is the pelvic floor cops a beating and gets blamed for so many of our issues. But there are 36 muscles that attach to the pelvis and then those muscles attach to other things. Um, and so it's really looking at it holistically and seeing what's going on for you. But um, it could be that there's tension. It could be that there's weakness. It could be that there's both. We often think, oh, if a muscle's tight, it's strong. Mm. And our whole and our whole um, exercise world really values strength. Um, we don't want strength. We want balance. We want a muscle to contract when it's needed to, lengthen when it's needed to, and coordinate. And that coordination is key. And so if any of those factors are off, right, so when we have weakness, there's lack of strength. When we have tightness, there's lack of length. Um, and then when things aren't functioning well, there's lack of coordination. And so if we're losing, if we lose one of them, that's the whole system's out. All of that resonates very much. I um, have a history, like I said um, in my question, I have a history of hip issues. Um, I think it's largely genetic somewhat, but obviously like pattern of behavior and movement. Um, my dad has disaster hips and three of my sisters do. Um, and it's just been an issue my kind of whole life. And I've had, um, I was diagnosed, quote unquote, with dysmenorrhea. So I've always had horrifically painful periods and maybe that's all connected and I hadn't made that connection beforehand um, and me and two of my sisters who've had children had very similar births where um, so two of us 
I I had a vaginal birth with my first birth. My two sisters did as well. One of my sisters had a, had subsequent pregnancy and birth. She had a cesarean because she had twins. And that was that was a whole other thing. But um, our births were eerily similar in that they lasted a really long time, um, like days of um, the baby being engaged and trying to move around but not getting comfortable, um, and then it ending in like fetal distress and. Um, really ramping things up and I ended up with a shot with he he shoulder dystocia and um, really fast and dirty episiotomy not dirty it was sterile but you know what I mean um, and so there's still a lot of tension and um, what whatever the words you said I was like yes all of those things sounds exactly mm. right and I just want to send you a lot of love that you went through that because there's a lot of story there too. And I think this is what, you know, we we separate the mind and body, which blows mm-hmm. my mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And we do that in um we do that in the medical world, like mental health and physical health. There's no such thing. It's mm-hmm. it's one thing. The mind is in the body and neither are the same without the other. They have they they are a unit. And if you've got a machine and you touch one thing on that machine, then everything else is impacted. There's a flow-on effect. And so often, you know, and this is what indigenous cultures have held often for 60,000 years or however long they've been around. And when we moved into Western culture and we moved to Western medicine, we got rid of so much and we lost. We didn't get, well, we purposely, on, <laughs> on, you know, a lot of people purposely got rid of it and it's still even purposely now seen as woo-woo and voodoo and given these horrible names. Like, you know, we did this podcast the other day and with um, this doctor and he was like, oh, I don't want to sound hippie. It's like you're not being hippie. You're actually being truly scientific, right? There is mm-hmm. no greater science than than the 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 body and what it does physiologically and chemically and how the body interacts with the environment and how the mind interacts with the environment. But we still see that as hippie. Like, come on, we've got to change our language around this to own it. And so there's this real shame around connection to the body, which is the wisdom that Indigenous cultures still hold around the world and and it did hold but when we moved to western medicine we went that's wrong this is right Mm. now there's no right or wrong there's just what works for you and so for some people surgery and drugs are going to be great for them for other people you know doing body work and having their story heard is going to work for them it's about giving people choice and not you know, creating this shame or guilt around what feels good for people. Because when you feel good emotionally, your body feels good. And so, you know, really got to think about what plays out in that pelvic bowl, because there is so much story there from when we first find out that we're going to bleed. And maybe it even starts sooner than that. Like, you know, there's so much around three and four-year-olds touching their bodies because it feels good, right? And then, you know, that brings up a lot for parents. But the reality is they're exploring what feels good for their body and getting to know their body. But often our story starts there. Our story starts with what we learn as a little child around our private parts. And so right from the beginning, there's shame in that pelvic bowl especially for girls right it's like culturally okay to play with your dick and balls and to get them out but if you're a girl you don't play with your clitoris 
right? And I mean, I think the fact that we call our vulvas our vaginas really sums up where we're at in women's health, but also the fact that we only knew what the clitoris looked like in 2005, right? So like 18 years ago, we only discovered that. 18 <laughs> years ago. And I'm sure, I'm sure. Like all the internal structure being properly modeled. Yeah, like knowing, like, so the clitoris is left out of most anatomical books um, mm. and it's still highly misunderstood. So it's still, you know, sold as this, you know, body part that's purely for pleasure. It's not. It is, it can't be, it can't sit where it sits and not be involved in birth, right? So it is deeply involved in birth in the fetal ejection reflex. And this is what I would love to do my PhD on is to really mm. prove this. So if the two of you would like to birth in an MRI, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, it's no, not, I don't ever want to put anyone through that, but that's <laughs> basically what we kind of want to see is what is that interaction between the the baby's head and the clitoris? Because I mean, mm. the body does exactly what it does in orgasm as it does during um, mm. birthing, and so if you mm. if you or next time you orgasm, and if you've never orgasmed, get on it, especially if you're pregnant. But the next <laughs> yeah. time you orgasm, you want to you want to grab your clitoris and actually feel it pulsate because it pulsates mm. exactly the same as a penis does, right? Mm. And so yeah. we have to understand our bodies more. But, you know, our story, so much of what we hold is around what we've been taught and the shame that we've held uh, or been even conditioned to hold around our body. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there's the stories of learning about bleeding and puberty there's the stories of our first bleeds and subsequent bleeds and you know just all of that like shopping for things and mm -hmm. you know what that story around your first bleed and what that looked like and then um stopping bleeding and contraception conception sex and pregnancy birth and then what happens to us in those in those events too like I had a pregnancy my second pregnancy was really quite traumatic and not in a pregnancy type but was was happening to me so I did free antenatal classes and my hospital that I worked for at the time served me with five allegations of misconduct um they were basically <laughs> just trying to get rid of me but that was my whole pregnancy oh. and I paid thousands of dollars of lawyers fees and I fought them and they dropped them but I was 37 I to contact them and say I'm on mat leave I'm 37 weeks pregnant oh can this goodness. please be finalized um mm. and so I've had to work through that and I'm really grateful for it now because it's the reason core and floor exists right it really pushed me to be like right what else can I do here I really mm. I've got this incredible mm. thing and I want to drive it and it was happening anyway because the antenatal classes got me out there to people um but that was significant trauma that really disconnected me from my baby in that mm. pregnancy and so anytime I've done internal work in the pelvic bowl up until recently that story came up and I had to work through it and it was amazing to work through and I'm so grateful for the three women that that served me those allegations um because I am who I am today because of that trauma um mm -hmm. and yeah I just see it as the universe's way of giving me something really magical which is what I can now do in this space but um you know so so often it's what happens to us in those events too um that 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 the story is in the pelvic bowl so it's not just around those organs it's around our life at the time um and so you know this is and 
you don't have to. I think we see trauma as this really strong word in our culture. The reality is all of us have trauma um, and it's trauma is not the event that happened to us. So trauma is not the episiotomy. Um, it's not the cesarean. It's not the sexual abuse. Trauma is what happens inside of us as a result um, to that experience. And that is the beauty of trauma is that it can be worked through. And I would argue that no one goes into their first birth with complete trust because biologically we shouldn't biologically we shouldn't be so trusting of something that we've never experienced before um and that is a huge thing we always tell people to trust their bodies when so often there hasn't we don't know what trusting our bodies feels like mm-hmm. but i I would argue that 100% of people walk away from their birth with charge, right? And you don't have to call it trauma, but you can call it charge. Things that need to be worked through, like points of your labor and birth. And it's often how you were treated or what it was how somebody said something to you or an action of somebody else or what you made it mean. So lots of women walk away from their birth thinking that they failed. That's the trauma. That's the charge, right? And so, you know, birth is such a big one that we hold in our bodies till the day we die and it's you know we really want to give women the opportunity to work through that right like actually because the reason we have it is because birth needs to transform us you know and science shows that we're no longer the same person as we were but prior to giving birth there's a reason for that and I see birth as this incredible event and birth trauma really I love birth trauma and that can sound really sick but when you work with birth trauma and you heal from it it's your greatest power and so I often see birth as this you know beautiful gift of this doesn't feel good right? You've carried this story with you or these themes with you and you've made things mean that you're not good enough for so long. This doesn't feel good and it's not going to feel good in motherhood. So let's work through it and move it. And, you know, birth so often brings up our attachment um, to our parents and our, and it often, you know, it can be either parent, but so often our first birth is deeply connected to that mother wound um, and it highlights it. And then what we see unfold is that story continues to unfold, throughout pregnant uh, throughout postpartum so I had I had the most amazing on paper birth that anyone could ask for for their first birth I was 36 weeks I was a total rebellion and I home birthed at 36 weeks um and I totally undisturbed didn't tear didn't bleed none of it right but I walked away from it feeling like I'd failed because I hadn't embraced it. I hadn't trusted it. I hadn't enjoyed it. And I'd been a midwife for a decade and I'd been telling all these women to do it this way and to trust it and embrace it. And then I couldn't. Um, and I also had some, you know, charge over some things that my midwife and my husband had done at the time. And what I'd made it mean is that they didn't care about me. Now they were doing their absolute best because my midwife rocked up as I was pushing my baby out. And my poor partner was like, he was like, where are the drugs? And I'm like, where's the cheese? <laughs> and like you know it was chaotic and beautiful you know but when he walked away from me to get the drugs I was like you don't care about me right like that's Mm. just what I made things mean and so my birth has really enabled me to understand who I am and figure out the pieces of me that serve me really well which is that I'm totally capable and I can trust in my capability and I'm an epic human and get rid of the pieces that don't charge, which is, you know, that don't serve me, which is that no one cares about me because lots of people care about me. Lots of people love me and I need to feel that. And I think that's a big piece for so many of us. We often make things mean that people don't care about us when the truth is they do, they deeply care about us. Oh, so much 
again, I just need you to keep talking forever and always. But I think your thing about trauma and charge is really um, poignant for me because I think both Chris and like our accounts wouldn't exist. Our platforms wouldn't exist without our own postpartum traumas. Um, like that's a huge part of who we are and how we connect to each other and how we connect to um, our communities. Um, but yeah, I've only started to, I've, because I had such a, I mean, I've talked about on the podcast a lot, but I had a, a horrific postpartum um, in so many different ways. Um, the COVID, both Chris and I had our babies um, during COVID. So that was terrible. Um, but there were lots of other factors that would have made it challenging regardless. Um, but because I, and I don't know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Kristen, but because I had such a horrific postpartum experience, I didn't really process anything birth trauma related. And I was mm. like, I had a fine birth. And it's only until this pregnancy that I've been like, oh, wait, no, I have a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of um, mm. stress held in my body. Mm. from that experience mm. um Kristen did you because I remember like I remember hearing the beautiful story of your birth of like you catching your baby and feeling everything and all the, but obviously I know that's one there's so many yeah. different ways to tell the same story yeah oh I was completely dissociated like mm. I was I, I'm autistic if you don't know B um and those my sensory aversion is mainly to do with internal physiological processes I'm very averse to those sensations they make me very unwell very panicked very mm. meltdown um prone um and I didn't know that at the time so when I was like laboring I was like this is what everyone says you should do and I was doing like the perfect labor thing no drugs literally none like I got to eight centimeters and I was just like I can't like it's been 24 hours. I can't do it. I want an epidural. Had an epidural, fell asleep straight away, woke up, can't feel anything, which I think was actually better for me. Um, mm. But catching my daughter, I was already full of so many hormones um, and I don't tolerate hormones very well. They make my they make me mentally unwell. Um, mm. And all of those hormones kind of just washed me out. So by the time I was catching my baby, like I was, mm. I was done. I was out like she was like, you can grab your baby and pull it up on your chest. And I did. And she cried for hours on my chest. And I think I was falling asleep while she was crying on my chest. I didn't have that oxytocin high. I didn't have adrenaline. I just had complete and utter fatigue. And just, I was just cooked and I was cooked for months and months. So it sounds perfect. I had a vacuum mm. delivery because I just couldn't feel um, my pushes, which was good for me because I would have been really averse to them um but yeah it sounds perfect because I caught my own baby but it probably wasn't mm. <laughs> so yeah nice on paper yeah. not nice totally it's huge and most people you know I just want to send you a little love around that story because that's you know often what we hold right like oh it looks good on paper or it sounds good to tell and you know, lots of beautiful births exist, but it's that ability to allow all the feelings around birth to be there because the reality is our feelings coexist. And so you might feel mm. really great that you got to lift her up and really awesome that that was part of your birth story. And then, you know, you love the fact that you had an epidural and you feel really proud that you had one. And then, you know, you're really disappointed about this. That's a big part mm. of unpacking your birth is 
what do you actually feel about it mentally and physically like what's in the mind and what's in the body and mm-hmm. you know Siobhan what you highlighted is is most people's story most people book in a birthday brief for me around their child's first birthday mm-hmm. because they're like because and I, you know I think there's so much that we could do around birthdays and I always honor the person who's given birth on a birthday because it's you know your that's your story that's your birth story you know is their celebration of of celebrating their life is celebrating the fact that you gave them that. Um, and so most people come to me around first birthdays because it's like, oh, fine, I'm fine. It was just postpartum that was hard. And, and this is why I'm so passionate about birth because how you leave birth is how you enter motherhood. And so often postpartum gets the blame. But mm. really, if we look at it, it was the story is often start, the story starts in pregnancy. Um, mm. Birth exacerbates it and then postpartum just like unleashes everything and it's just there um and so you know I a lot of what I do is motherhood support I do a lot of coaching with mothers around all these feelings um but people aren't often comfortable to go with birth until it becomes a a need and so often the second pregnancy if they don't come to me around their first birth they come to me with a second pregnancy because they're like oh I'm going to do this again. And I didn't realize that was all sitting here, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and so a big part is working through what do you actually need and, you know, debriefing that first birth and then figuring out what you need for that second birth. And that's why second births can be so healing because often first Mm. births are the contrast of what we don't want. And so we go, Mm. this isn't what we want it to look like. Mm. How do we now make it look different? Um, And what do we need and getting our needs met in birth? is super important um, because often it gives us that capacity of, okay, I got my needs met here. Now I can get my needs met in postpartum. Mm-hmm. And a big thing I think we really need to start talking about is postpartum planning mm. or postpartum mapping, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, social media definitely has its cons, but so many pros of it is that mm. this kind of knowledge is starting to come back to our womanhood. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Like, and that is exactly what we're doing at the moment. Like Siobhan's working with Mother Up to do postpartum planning. I am postpartum planning as well. But what you said about like, I think when you're talking about birth and what you want for your second birth, I think a lot of people think that your second birth, you want it to be the perfect physiological birth. You want it to be healing. But for me, that's not the case. I'm very almost certain that I will elect to have a cesarean because although my ba- my body is physically capable of delivering a child, the toll it took on my body to have a physical birth was almost catastrophic because of who I am, because of my disability, because of everything else around it. And that was something that I couldn't really work my way back from. I was really unwell for a really long time. And then I just had a challenging kid on top and it ended up being the most horrific two years of my life. Um, So I think when you're thinking about what your birth needs to be, a lot of people will will carry guilt when they're like, I want a C-section this time because it sounds like a failure. It sounds like giving up. It sounds like not being in touch with your womanhood and things like that. But sometimes it's also about showing yourself compassion and saying, it's okay that that's not what I want and making sure that no one tells you otherwise because a lot of people do when I shared that on my stories a lot of people were like 
why? Like, why would you do that? Why would you go private? Why would you choose a cesarean? Like your body is clearly capable of it. You just need to trust in your womanhood. And it's like, please don't make me feel bad. I'm trusting in my womanhood to raise my baby. But here, giving birth is not something that I find really important. And I feel like it could really damage me. So by choosing what works best for me, not working best for other people, I think that's really important. And that's also not spoken about a lot because a lot of people, a lot of midwives, a lot of social media just champions perfect physiological birth. Like you opened with, you had this brilliant physiological birth. Yeah, physiological. That's the, it's the goal, right? Um, for most people oh, learning about birth, it was birth, my it goal. And I think here, yeah, a lot of it is understanding what we make it mean and mm. owning our story around that, right? Like yeah. um, when I ask people what they need, I work with lots of people who want an elective cesarean. Mm. and we plan and we map or we map we don't plan we map what that would look like right Mm. it's about safety Mm. it's about emotional and physical safety Mm. a big part of coming to that safety is understanding who you are so Mm. a lot of work I do is being able to get people to own their own story and see everyone else's story for that so you know Mm. those people that are saying those things to you that's just where they're at that's mm-hmm. just why they believe that or why mm. do they believe that, right? Like there's a story mm-hmm. behind that. When we sit in our own story with compassion, mm. what that looks like is diving into, oof, okay, these people, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it on to me so it's not about you here, Kristen. Um, it's fine. You know, <laughs> well, I just, I really, really want to be compassionate here because this is such a big yeah. one, right? It's yeah. so, so big around birth and and womanhood or, or whatever we want to call it. There is, you know, I would get messages on social media where people would criticise what I was doing. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's to the point of, you know, they really criticise words I would use. Like, um, you know, I remember I got really criticised a couple of years ago for using the word tribe. Um, and, you know, I've been criticised for using the word structure, in uh, using the word space instead of structure um, around, you know, the vagina. And people, you know, just message you, you know what it's like. If you've got a mm. big account, the bigger your yeah. account is, the more people bring you stuff, right? <laughs> yes. Now, when people would bring me their stuff, because that's what's mm. happening here. They're yeah, bringing you their stuff right um what would happen is I would have an internal reaction I would have feelings Mm -hmm. right and so what we need this is I mean this is so big and it's probably bigger than this podcast but we have been conditioned to not feel from the minute we've been born right we Mm -hmm. don't like babies having feelings so we shush we pat we distract we we listen to fix we don't listen to hear Mm-hmm. and so we are deeply conditioned to not feel mm-hmm. now feelings are our biggest power they work exactly like the immune system they let in what is good and they protect us from what is not but when you've been conditioned not to feel feelings need to be felt they have to be processed and so when they don't come out of the body they live inside of us and that's why so many of us get triggered so much right because what is happening when we get triggered is that all the feelings around different experiences from our whole life that never got felt come up to the surface it's why feelings feel so familiar right mm-hmm. so what was happening was people were coming to me and telling me what and what I was making it mean was I was wrong. That what I wanted or what I said or what I was doing wasn't right. And I wasn't worthy of having 
you know, taking up space or that I, I often would make it mean too that I was in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And I have a big, big thing, a big, big fear around being in trouble because when I was in trouble as a kid, I lost everything. I was grounded or I was told that people were going to pick me up from the naughty girl's home or I was shown where the door was. My mum's biggest saying was, if you don't like it, there's the door. So getting in trouble was never safe for me, mm-hmm. right? And so people will, will message and they'll say things like, what I interpret it is, is you're stuffing up. You're not making the right decision. You're not saying the right thing or doing the right thing. And I would go, oh. and so all the inner parts of me that ever got in trouble that never had her feelings hurt. So five-year-old B, right? So I got this message once and this was when I was really starting to work through it and, and I got a message and there was a little bit of a response, right? And I have worked so hard on this because there would be a big response. And every time I got to feel my feelings, the response around a message on Instagram would decrease and decrease and decrease. And this message that came at the end of last year, I got this big feeling. I was like, oh, what is it? And I sat with it and I said to my partner, this person's just messaged me this. And I don't read a lot of my messages anymore, but for some reason this day I read this message. And I was like, oh, and it was the universe totally giving me the next piece to shift. I was like, what is here for me? And I was like, oh, I'm five years old and I have been playing outside and I don't want to go in to have a shower to go to church because I came from a really super religious family. Um, and I end up getting grounded and my mum tells me that I can't go to the party the next day and I have to ring this five-year-old girl and the whole of, um, it was I was in New South Wales, so kindergarten, the whole, in my brain, the whole the whole party's there and then the whole party the whole grade knows that I'm a really naughty kid and I don't get to go to this party right because I'm naughty so then I turn up to school on the Monday and I have to give her the present now we all know right as children that the only reason you hand that present over is because you get the lolly bag and you get the party experience (laughs) but I didn't get that and then I had to give her the present and I went to school thinking everyone's going to know I'm a naughty kid and so this story comes up that's totally you know what I'm feeling around this text message and lots of my five-year-old stories are coming up now because I have a five-year-old and I like feel the sadness and my husband was like it's really messed up and I was like yeah it's really (laughs) acknowledging here that my parents did the very best they could with what they had Mm -hmm. but that's what they had at the time which was discipline which is what so many of our parents had Mm -hmm. discipline and then not listening to feelings Mm -hmm. and so what is often going up on for us is deeply connected to who we are and so what I want to say here Kristen is you're making the best choice for you and that's Mm -hmm. where you said you know you got to come at this with compassion but Mm -hmm. when we see each other's story each other's stories for just that so the next time I got a message Mm -hmm. this woman I'd put this post up it was actually around cesarean birth um which you know so beautifully ties into what we're talking about and it was that science you know the research has connected that um cesarean birth is actually associated with um more vaginal pain 11 years on um than vaginal birth right yeah so this woman was like I have anxiety why would you post that this feels really (laughs) big for me um now I'm really concerned about my cesarean sections and you know, and what I, I read it and I read her message and I was like, this is showing where she's at, which is she's really scared, Mm. right? Mm. She's really scared about what's happening. She's probably got lots of big feelings around her birth and her subsequent birth, and she hasn't been heard yet. And she's got a Mm. lot of story there that needs to be heard. And so I sat with her and I, I messaged, you know, messaged back really compassionately and there was nothing for me. And I was like, oh I've worked through so much Mm -hmm. of this and there was so much pride for me and so much compassion for her and that was it 
right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I want to offer you here is, you know, looking at what may still be there for you mm-hmm. um, because often there is a lot of story here for us that we need to work through and give ourselves compassion. It's actually got nothing to do with the birth. You know in your body what you want, right? You mm-hmm. know that the safest thing for you emotionally, physically, spiritually, and in terms of your family's health is to have an epic cesarean, mm-hmm. right? And this is what... You know, so often with birth, we can, you know, the hospital system especially is like life or death, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we just want a healthy baby. Well, what's the definition of a healthy baby? And what's the definition of a healthy mom? Mm-hmm. Western medicine is that you're alive. For me, <laughs> if you yeah. being alive is the bottom ladder and the bottom rung of the ladder. What I want to know is that you were emotionally safe, that you were physically safe, that you were culturally mm-hmm. safe, and that your family is safe and your family is not safe unless all of your safety needs are met and so yes physiological birth right there is something about it Mm -hmm. there is no denying that scientifically there is something about it right and you didn't get that in your first birth because you didn't have a physiological birth to the end and there was hormones and drugs that that intercepted that and disrupted that process I think those of us that have experienced physiological birth are so passionate about it because it feels so good, right, Mm -hmm. chemically and biologically if we are safe with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I'm hearing is it didn't feel safe for you. So it's like, Mm -hmm. great, let's now see what is safe. So the guilt and the shame Culturally, yes, there is that around physiological birth. And I know that those of us that are really passionate about it, what we're wanting is for you to have that same effect biologically. And this will feel really triggering for some people to hear this, but you can't mimic that in any other way. Mm-hmm. There is no, there is nothing like physiological birth in the in the body, and you can't get that again. But some people won't be able to get that. And so, you know, there is no end goal for society. There's just what feels good for you. Um, I think those of us are really passionate about physiological birth is because most people that have vaginal birth still aren't getting physiological births. Mm. And we have really crucified birth and we've crucified, you know, it, it can it it is biologically designed to be our greatest gift and give us strength and power to move into motherhood. But I mean, the fact we birth with strangers is mind boggling. Like you are doing the most intimate thing, right? Like orgasm and birth physiologically and chemically are the same in the body in terms of what the body is doing and then what the body feels. And I often say, how would you feel orgasming in a hospital setting? I wouldn't feel safe doing that. Like the fact (laughs) women can feel safe physiologically birthing in a hospital system with strangers and bright lights and people touching you and doing things to you just is, is fascinating to me, right? There's a reel that my husband doesn't yet know that he's going to film and we're going to (laughs) be like having sex. And there's going to be a random person coming in, like taking his um, pulse and his blood pressure and telling him that he's not penetrating deep enough and fast enough and hard enough. Is he going to ejaculate in that situation? No. (laughs) That is the exact same process. And I think this is why so many of us get passionate about physiological Mm. birth too, is because it's misunderstood. 
Mm. It's really misunderstood of what it needs to be like and what it can be like because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't belong in a hospital system with sickness mm-hmm. and disease. And mm-hmm. I know things go wrong and people with complications do really well in the hospital setting and it keeps mm-hmm. their birth safe. But mm-hmm. for the majority of us, we have cultured this belief that birth needs to be medically managed, that it's unsafe mm-hmm. and that we all end up dead at the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. And mm. if we truly understood the physiology of birth, I mean, it's exactly the same as orgasm. So if you're sitting there going, yeah, I probably wouldn't orgasm if someone was taking my blood pressure and sticking their fingers inside of me in a non-sexual way and giving me a progress report on where my clitoris yeah. is at, <laughs> that's birth, yeah. right? Yeah. And I often say because birth is a physiological event, so is pooing. Right. So just think about it for a second, because this is what happened to birth in the 1920s around the depression where we didn't have good sanitation mm-hmm. and good nutrition and hygiene, especially for poor people. That's how birth ended up in hospital. Right. It, mm-hmm. In Australia. The 1920s, and so poor people were put into maternity units. Rich people kept birthing at home. Mm-hmm. And so then what that led to was 97% of the population birthing in hospital. It wasn't scientifically driven. It wasn't data driven. It wasn't outcomes based. What we actually saw at the time was those women did worse in mm-hmm. birth than those that were birthing at home. Mm-hmm. So I want you to think for a second that all of a sudden we have this issue with the sewage in our in our town. And so we go, I'm really sorry, no one can poo at home. Everyone now has to poo in hospital right? And so all of a sudden, all these people start going to hospital to do their poos. Now, pooing all of a sudden starts to take longer. um, And we're noticing that there's constipation and hemorrhoids and stuff like that. And so then the system gets overloaded and we say, okay, we now need you to poo more quickly, right? And so we're going to give you this drug to speed up your poos. And then we're going to ultrasound you before your birth, because we're before your poo, because we're really worried that your poo may be too big and you may not get it out in time um, or safely. So let's ultrasound you and see how big that poo is. And now we're just going to cut your anus a little bit just to make the pooing process a hell of a lot easier. Do you feel safe to poo? Do you want to go to the hospital and poo your baby? Poo your poo. Your poo? I'm getting my... Poo <laughs> <laughs> your poo. Give life to your poo. No, you don't. And that is culturally what we've done to birth. Yes, interventions are great. They are life-saving. And for people that you know, really, you know, need that, it's awesome. And for people that want it, it's awesome too because we live in 2023 and choice is great. But a lot of what happens around birth, and I think those of us that are really passionate about it, we get what has happened to it and we get that we've Mm. really messed it up. But, yeah, it's not about me. It's not about the person that messaged you on Instagram. It's about you and your Mm. safety and what you need and every birth should come back to that. And this is what, you know, why I love doulas for any birth, for any mode of birth, regardless of where you're birthing, because it brings it onto you. It's about that emotional safety of what do you need? And, you know, I did a reel the other day on how to have an epic cesarean birth um, Mm -hmm. and really challenging the system on how cesareans are done because there's so much that we could just implement so simply to make a cesarean so much more um feel you know feel so much more powerful for the person who it's being done to like simple things like putting the electrodes on the back so that they can have better skin to skin simple things Mm. like just honoring the body and the womb and all that's done in that space before we cut into it you know um that we just don't do so there is no right or wrong with birth just like there's no right or wrong with motherhood what feels good for you is going to feel good 
you know, for somebody else. But I think so often people get robbed of the best orgasm of their life and they didn't even know that it could feel good. Um, they didn't even know. And birth can still feel like that emotionally and physically. Birth can still feel like that regardless of whether it's physiological. What I'm arguing here is you don't get the chemical processes. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just science and the way the body works physiologically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, go you. Have an epic cesarean birth. Honour it. Own it. Shout it from the rooftops how epic it was because it's about, you know, you've really got to look at what do you need from your birth. And most people, all they need is to enjoy it and embrace it. And so what's that going to look like for you? It doesn't matter. There's no checklist here. But I'm sorry you got those messages because, you know, people on Instagram just think that they can, you know, bring all their, and that's what they're doing. They're bringing mm-hmm. their story to you um, but making it about you, which it's not. Mm-hmm. It's about them. Yeah. And I mean, half a million followers later, like those are comments that are commonplace. I share all of my life. So the people that listen here and follow me know that they don't affect me. Um, And I usually treat people with compassion and kindness because it is more about them than it is about myself. Mm -hmm. I have my own decisions. I make my own decisions before I come to my page. And they're not decisions that are wavered by any one person. Sometimes it's insulting when someone's like, um, no, you shouldn't do that. Or like, I have expertise too. And I don't think you should do that. Um, because they aren't honoring like my capacity to make my own decisions, but like on the whole, people generally have their own shit going on and that is okay. And everyone's going to process it differently. Like it is just how things roll and that is okay. But I really appreciate you coming on to chat with us, B. I think we've probably run out of time, although I'm sure Siobhan is dying to ask 700 more questions. No, I do. You know, it's this beautiful like balance of I've got so many questions, but also if you could just talk for 12 hours, I'd happily listen. So I'm just fangirling over here and not even like in any particular way. I'm just like finding lots of what you're saying really comforting and wonderful. And I guess it's because it resonates with me because I share so many of these same thoughts. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on and talking it through with us Mm, thank you for letting me come and yeah just speak it's yeah really (laughs) a huge honor so thank you and wishing you both an epic epic birth and an epic postpartum and uh, (laughs) and just yeah sending lots of love if it's feeling big and I just want to say at 10 weeks we typically get a hormone spike and so what is what you're probably (laughs) feeling now is very connected to that and then Uh often I do often find people have a lot of pain around that 10 week mark and then Mm. it kind of ebbs and flows so just knowing that if everything Mm -hmm. feels like it's seizing up that may just be really connected to hormones right now so just a lot of love yeah thank you and thank you for joining us B thanks thanks for having me see ya bye Uh, welcome back to the chatty part episode with me and Siobhan I I I don't understand why I've completely forgotten how to welcome you back to the outro of a podcast after an interview but here we are and that is fine because my brain right now Siobhan like I know that at the end of that podcast you said you loved everything about it you felt so good it felt so nice (laughs) I am I have so many complicated feelings and I don't know why because everything B said was perfect. And the whole time I'm like, don't have a panic attack. Don't have a panic attack. Don't have a panic. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not crazy. I was watching your face. I'm like, something's off. She's not 
some things and I'm like she's enjoying it and she's engaging but something's not sitting right so So, hard I was masking my little butt off like I am so very tired now but like I don't Mm. understand what the problem was because V is amazing and she is this phenomenal person who sees birth as this phenomenally beautiful thing and I think it's me and I think Mm. it's that I carry so much weight so much guilt so much shame over the way my brain works Mm. and the fact that I want to be perfect I want Mm. to be like everybody else and show everyone else that I can do everything that anyone else can and I feel like a failure that I can't or now won't Mm. um, have the kind of birth that B was telling us that we're all capable of and I just felt like a failure like mm. maybe that's it because she didn't say that she said the opposite no, she definitely I didn't and I don't I, I will challenge one tiny point in that she didn't say we're all capable of it she said that it is possible I, I think heard that, she, that though sure I heard yes and do it so why aren't you going to do it Kristen because sure. that's my whole life like yeah don't tell me I can't do something because I'm gonna go and do it and I don't yeah. know how to be kind to myself and be like no you don't have to you're allowed yeah. to not do those things if you don't want to. And I'm this is, so confused. <laughs> no, this is, so I do know what, so I was going to, right before you mentioned that you, um, and I didn't know that you've, that you've locked in a, that you're I planning or have. It's okay, almost cool. certain. It's all, sure. And now I am confused again because now I feel like sure. a failure again. And I'm like, maybe wow. I'm just not tough enough. Maybe I just have to suck it no. up. Uh, anyway. Don't be silly. <laughs> I don't, so. I validate your feelings. I recognize all your feelings as valid, <laughs> but I don't want you to feel. So as you said, you haven't totally decided, but I remember being in that space. So for those of you who don't know, we, I, we, my husband and I, we have decided to have an elective plan cesarean for this pregnancy. Um, and I'm actually really surprised that I didn't have a lot of the feelings you're talking about when I was talking with B. I did have, mm. a, I did have the internal voice of, well, you could do it. See, you could do it. And then I was like, yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. And then thankfully, because I made this decision quite a while ago, so I've been yeah, um, been working through it and thinking through it a lot. Um, and thankfully I had the other voice on top going, yeah, but you don't want to and you don't have to and that's okay and that's kind Aww. and that's compassionate. And I think what I'm really focusing on is not not the birth and very much that for me and for us and our family, the plan cesarean is a gateway to a more predictable entry into this postpartum. Yes. Yes. That's why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it because I don't trust that my body can do it. I'm sure mm. that if I put in the time and effort and work in, into the healing of like all of the body work that sounds amazing mm. and I fully intend to do at a later date, I just literally mm. do not have the time to do yeah. it now. And may, And maybe if I decided at the beginning of this, um, pregnancy to do it maybe I could have made the time but I intentionally made that choice not to because it's a lot mm. of work yeah and I decided to prioritize other things mm-hmm. um but I'm I I really 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 heavily relate to what you're talking about not the autism part of stuff because yeah. I don't have that but, <laughs> but still um but yeah like it's it's hard and I think I haven't I haven't told you this but a few maybe a month or two ago because I have been very open with anyone who's asked about this pregnancy I've been like we're having a planned cesarean for lots of different reasons um, including a challenging birth last time including a incredibly debilitating postpartum 
um, and that this is the choice we've made and we're really happy with it. And I have, most people have been really positive. Um, I would say like 50% have been just straight up positive. Mm. Another like 40% have been like positive, but I can tell that that's not totally their full mm. everything, which is cool. Like they can have whatever feelings they want to have about it. And mm. I have had a few people be like, oh, but why don't you just try? And I'm like, because I don't have to. <laughs> because I'm a private patient and I don't actually know you're a public patient. No, I'm public. Don't I'm like, to. I don't have to. <laughs> um, and I don't want to. And yeah. and I think and, I think this kind of reflects where we're at in our journey of making these decisions, mm. right? And I think if I'd had the kind of birth that you had, I would have felt more validated in the decision. But because it's mm. a mental rather than a physical obstacle for me, or at least it appears mental I feel like I have a complete physical toll on my body when these things when I experience these things but absolutely I think, I think we gaslight ourselves I think I'm gaslighting mm -hmm. myself right now but I also feel mm -hmm. like by the time I get to your point in pregnancy I will feel more at peace with it mm -hmm. and be like that's that's your junk that you're trying to deal with like you don't yeah. you can't impose any kind of birth on me and B definitely wasn't but this is like this is exactly like when we were talking to Dr. Lisa about having mm. a second child and I was like having a panic attack because it had nothing to do with the beautiful thing she was saying. It had to do with my internal dialogue, those little voices in my head, which is still very, very aggressive and very unkind. <laughs> but I know that yeah. it's not just me, so that's why I talk about it and share it. It makes things harder, but yeah, I think like on the whole, I really didn't enjoy <laughs> that mm. podcast recording, but I think that maybe in a little while, like listening back to it, I think I will really enjoy it, or at least I hope mm -hmm. I will. It feels a lot like therapy. Like, yes. And therapy is uncomfortable and it makes me mm -hmm. really fatigued and it makes me confront things that I, I need to confront but don't want to because that's a lot of hard work. And I feel like that conversation mm -hmm. with B was confronting the things that I am afraid to confront and making that decision. Like, totally. Ugh. And like, you're, you're only 10 weeks pregnant yeah it's only, cool, but, it's, <laughs> but like you only found out what six seven weeks ago yeah like this is all really new information I was not like where I am now <laughs> I get but where I'm, I was not where I am now <clears throat> back then I no. was in all of this holy shit land of like what's the actual <laughs> how do I I was realizing at, at yours at when I was 10 weeks I, I think I was nine weeks pregnant and mm. I was like oh shit I have to do this again. Like mm. I was having full blown panic attacks because I had to birth that oh. like the baby has to come out. Oh, um, I don't have that concern at all. No. Well, cause I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I think yeah. prior to making the decision, I had a lot of like, well, I'm never having a cesarean, which is yeah. tied up with all of the, everything Same. that B was talking about. Same. <laughs> um, and even though I had, Part of the condition of my husband agreeing to even try for a second child was me entertaining the possibility of a cesarean. I said I did, but I didn't. Um, and so it was me like, oh my goodness, I'm having so much body anxiety based on even just recounting these feelings mm. of like me going, I have to birth this baby again. And when I finally made, sorry, vaginally birth this baby again. And when I finally made the decision not to, the amount of relief I felt was insanely palpable mm. and I'm actually I was I met up with a friend um actually she's she's on Instagram she's a nutritionist her name is Sarah she's Sarah mm. Elrami on Instagram I'll link her in the show notes when I say I'll link her I'll send you the information and Kristen will link her in the show notes 
Actually, I learned how to do it when I had to record that podcast by myself. I learned how to do all these things. Yeah, it's not so that you hard. Can put it in the I just never so do it. Now, producer it's Ellen can do it. Fine, fine, fine. I'll actually right, do some work. It's not that hard. It's that just sound two years. <laughs> I know. I know. Me being lazy, so and so. But anyway, I caught up with Sarah, who has had two um, elective cesareans. And I was telling her, she was asking how I was feeling about it because she knew that my first birth was a vaginal birth and that it wasn't uh, the best. Um, and she was asking how I was feeling. I'm like, I'm actually really excited, which is not what I felt last time and not what I ever expected to feel a second time after the first time and definitely what I never connected with a cesarean birth. So I'm actually really happy to be where I am and very hopeful and and crossing all my fingers and toes that you might get there too I think I will I think the more I talk about it I will and I feel like this podcast recording this therapy session today has gone (laughs) a long way towards that I will go to my psychologist in a couple of weeks and be like I need to talk about this because I thought I only needed to figure out breastfeeding because I thought that was more like at the top of my mind but no I also need to talk about choosing the birth I want and I'm pretty sure it's a cesarean and I've got an amazing obstetrician who's like um a maternal fetal medicine like complex high risk doctor which I was like I'm not high risk and then I walked out of my meeting with her yesterday where she's like you're a high risk patient and I was like why Mm. oh wait it's my disability yeah but I am fucking not okay with normal things and that is okay because that's just how my body reacts and I think this ties in you know how at the beginning when B was saying like mental health physical that we treat them as distinct they aren't Mm. they are one and the same my mental health is so physical (laughs) exactly and you said that like if you you said before that if it was like my birth and there were physical complications you would Mm. feel better but there were physical complications there was your mental health and the toll that took on you, that is a physical complication. Um, so I just want to highlight that those are one and the same. So don't try to discredit that. They are. I just, you know, I wasn't ready for yeah. therapy today. Okay. Sure. Not sure. To be confronted <laughs> with this beautiful story of like how, like, in my head, it's like, we can all have a physiological birth and it is phenomenal and it's the best orgasm of your life. And I, my brain's just like, I can't do that. Is it because I'm yeah. a failure or because I cannot mm. do that? And like, that's not what B's message was at all. But my brain is just mm. like this. So if you listen to that episode and we're extremely uncomfortable, just like me, well, well done for getting <laughs> to this point because I think I would have mm. turned the podcast off. I usually do. Um, Mm. so what I might do is we'll record a little bit in the intro where we like give this little warning to be like, go to the end of the episode and we'll put like a timestamp, listen to this conversation between Siobhan and Kristen and then listen to the episode. Have your outro, listen to the outro, then listen, listen to the intro, go straight to the outro, then come (laughs) back to the episode and let us know how you feel. (laughs) This is chaotic, but also this is, this is like real time healing Mm. I guess and Mm -hmm. this is what B was talking about it was that we need to heal and we often don't do that until either our child's first birthday or until we're in our second pregnancy and lo and behold we thought we thought we've been healing this whole time we've been we've been doing this podcast for two years yeah (laughs) we still have so far to go like so far but and we have come so far like it's all we're all works in progress but yes I this pregnancy has a really highlighted so much to me and I'm really grateful for it I'm also terrified because mm. uh, I have to do something I don't have to do. I guess I could put my head in the sand 
not I ideal. Mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a strategy. There are grandparents. They can they can raise <laughs> the human. Give it back to me when it is one and a half. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. Please, I'm obviously you. kidding. Um, <laughs> but also <maybe> not. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, <sighs> yes. No. I. I. I love that conversation and I'm sad that you didn't um but I that's all yeah I'm always no the problematic one though like there's always one of us but I am the voice of the minority you know no to like, be fair last week's episode or this week's the, the bed sharing one really yeah. threw me for a loop Boy, and we talked about me that last hard <laughs> yeah yeah um so many therapies. and again mm. I know Beck Beck was amazing mm. um in the episode that aired last week on whatever on the 7th 7th of March Mm -hmm. she was wonderful again it was all my stuff which is exactly Mm. what B was talking about today like people bring their own stuff Mm. um and didn't we bring our own stuff oh absolutely and like yeah and so I've had I've spent the last week really like heavily processing and thinking about like my own shame and like stress about bed sharing and co-sleeping and blah 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 um and I think as well, part of the reason I was excited about this chat with B today was that I'm like, oh, I've got so much to work on. I've got lots to add to my list to like process. And I've actually, I've got a, an appointment. What's today? Today's Tuesday. I've got an appointment mm-hmm. on Friday with an occupational therapist to process my birth trauma. That's right. That's what you've got coming so, up and you're doing I think just like, that. <clears throat> yeah so I think like a lot of me was like oh great and I was I don't know if you saw I was making notes during the whole conversation being like <laughs> perfect bring that up bring that up bring that up of things that were, was making me think of things honestly I um, think that this entire time I have been in denial that I have birth trauma because you had a traumatic birth mm, you really did I didn't but I I was didn't think I did all accounts but like no I genuinely I did not think like it was long I, I always mm. I've always told like I've always said it was a very long birth they were like medical, but I thought they were like complications. I didn't think I had emotional reactions to anything. And the number of times, literally like dozens of times in a social situation, someone would ask me how my birth went and I would say, yeah, it was fine. And then my mm-hmm. husband would look at with me, slack jawed being like, what drugs are you on? It was horrific. <laughs> um, we, we just gaslight the shit out of ourselves. I just like to point that yes. out. We gaslight yes. the shit out of ourselves. We're like, it's fine. No one died. It's all good because nobody died. No one died. And that's ex- that's exactly what B said in this episode. And it's so true. I was talking with one of my friends who's a psychologist and um, I was telling her, guess what? I've got birth trauma. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, <laughs> yes, sure. It's obvious to everyone. Um, and she's like, so what, like, what did you, how did you walk away from your birth? And I said, my, I'm like, genuinely, my takeaway was where we all survived. It was a success. And mm. she's like, oh, there's room for nuance there. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, so much. No, I'm really processing a lot of that nuance. We just don't have time to process it. Like, we are no, thrust we got into to make time. mother. No, but like when we, when we oh, gave sure, birth society. that first time, yes. we were thrust yes. into motherhood. We were given very little support. And then we were thrust into lockdown and not, support got even less. No. And it was, everything was fucked. Mm. So, of course, yep. we didn't process it. And then three years later, we're just like, oh, yeah, that wasn't Processing out of necessity. Good. That didn't feel great. Yeah. Like, that thing I said was amazing wasn't wasn't even yeah. a little bit amazing. I just 
And I was just like, I just remember explaining that like, I had a textbook, wonderful birth, and mm. but I was really tired at the end because it was really long. And then I was mm. tired for a year and a half because I never mm -hmm. got better. I only got worse. And I, I think it's so telling that B was saying that with her first birth, mm. that she had the physio, like she had mm. the quote unquote perfect physiological birth. Yeah. And that she still walked away from it feeling terrible because she felt mm. she didn't embrace the process and she didn't trust herself. So it's, it's never enough. There is never no. enough. Our, our expectations never meet reality. There is never enough. Particularly when we, when we hold ourselves up to such exacting, unattainable standards. Mm -hmm. Yay, the patriarchy um, and the broken systems that are. But hopefully we're doing our little bit to break some of that down. And share with you all of our mental health challenges as they occur. <laughs> in, in real time. <laughs> I did not. I did not have a panic attack, though. I, I didn't know. Have I was, one. Yes, so I, good. Yeah, I, had, I had to deep breathe for a little while there and try not to show my face panicking. Clearly, it didn't work because you clearly. No, I didn't, I didn't think you were panicking, but I knew something wasn't right. I was very quiet. I didn't want to ask many questions. So mm. I apologize to B for not being more aggressive like I usually am. Usually Siobhan and I are fighting over the mic. <laughs> fighting for but, the questions, yes. But I was not doing good. And that is okay. Because you don't have mm. to do good all the time, especially not 10 weeks pregnant when the migraines are at their highest. Mm. And the nausea sucks. I'm currently sucking on sour Skittles to like get through this next bit. Say sour skittles um, with sour skittles in your mouth ten times fast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was a wonderful episode. I'd love to know what everybody else experienced during that episode. I want to hear whether it was the most beautiful and uplifting and inspiring thing for you, or whether it made you deal with your shit and you were so uncomfortable. And um, like it I can really be both, right? It could, it's not always. It was it both for both. us. <laughs> It was, it was, might have been for you, but I was just really struggling. No, I mean, like that, with that, that's what I mean. It was both and that we, we were, we very beautifully had both sides of the coin between Which us. Which is, it's usually the case. So, you know, <laughs> solid effort. Anyways. Go team. That was an 80 minute interview. So I think we should really? leave the outro here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> and we will chat to you all again <laughs> next week when it's just Siobhan and I. On yes. our lonesome for once, and I guess we're just going to Well, maybe we'll, we'll, just, we'll just have another therapy session. <laughs> this is what happened during my week this week. I'm having this much trauma, and I have gaslit myself in this way. How about In you? the following ways. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, I just, you know what I should have is a gaslighting notebook, and I will just write down everything like gaslighting Do you know what? I was, literally, I was literally about to be like, okay, report back next week. Your homework is to note, time, note down every time. <laughs> I can't do homework, even for therapy. No, I've told yeah, my psychologist, okay. she knows, do not yeah, give therapy, yes. she's bad. Um, don't give so, her homework, you mean? Right, yeah, the homework's yeah. bad. She bad means the homework. I don't know why I made oh, it a feminine, but like, <laughs> my therapist is, she's fine, <laughs> she's fine. We're still learning how to get to know each other. Anyways, I'm done, I'm cooked. We will catch you in the next one, crew. We will, Bye. we will. Bye.